Thank you so much, uh, Rabbi Aniv. Thank you, Rabbi Riel. Thank you, Chazak, for all you do and uh, the way you do it. Uh, you are a powerhouse of Torah in the Queens community, where we are currently situated, and really the entire America, I think, uh, and maybe the world, uh, is really uh, indebted to you for all that you do in terms of Kirov, in terms of Shiurim, in terms of Harbatzah Uh It's really a tremendous chus always for Lander College to partner with such an amazing organization as Chazak. I'd also like to thank uh, Rabbi Ali Mansur uh, for joining us this evening. Uh, he is a uh, an extraordinary Marbitz Taira, uh, again in Brooklyn, in Queens, and in really the entire world. His Shmaya's Heilach Lefanov, his name precedes him as being a tremendous Talmud Chacham and a and a Meriderach for so many people. Uh, and uh, his Shirim are extraordinary, and uh, we are grateful for his presence here this evening. So we're almost uh, at the Yantiv of Pesach, and this is a Yantiv that we have to prepare for in many different ways, but perhaps the most important way to prepare is by learning Divrei Torah and by discussing different important Yisaitis, different principles and foundational ideas that we can take out of the Pesach Seder, but we have to prepare for it a little bit in advance, and that's one of the main reasons why we're all gathered here this evening, Baroiv Am. I didn't know what to speak about, honestly, uh, this evening. I was toying with a few different ideas, a few uh, new ideas, some old ideas, and then, as this always happens, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives me a, a flash of uh, his iris inspiration to know exactly what to talk about. And this inspiration came in the form of an email that I received just this morning. It was from a young married woman, and she writes to me, I just wanted to let you know that I was listening to your shmooz, an attitude of gratitude on Torah anytime, and as a result, I just sent the following to my parents. I'm not going to tell you what she sent to her parents, that we're going to save uh, to the end of this year, but it was a uh, sort of a moment that I took as a message uh, that this is the topic that I should speak about this evening again, uh, because I think it is a very important one for us to learn uh, and to teach others. One of the highlights of the Pesach Seder is the part in the Haggadah where we sing Dayenu. Now, I'm not sure about the Minhagim of our Sephardic brethren. I'm not sure what they do by Dayenu, but I think it's fair to say that there is a universal Ashkenazic nigan that's used for the song of Dayenu. I don't think you want me to sing it right now, but it basically, I'll just say it, it goes, Dai Dayenu, Dai Dayenu, and then you go through all of the Elo Haitzianu Mimitzrayim, and then you sing the Dayenu again until it gets a little bit too long, and then you just start saying Dayenu, and then you cut to the chase, and then at the end maybe you pick up a couple of Dayenus uh, all the way at the bitter end of this very special stanza, this special Zemmer. And what Dayenu is really all about is telling us different layers of things that we have to be grateful to Hashem about. So let's just go through a few of them very quickly. Uh, it's, a, it's a very, very 
interesting section of the Haggadah because it's so ripe for commentators to discuss every single line because it's very confusing. It starts out by telling us that how many milas tevis, how many great uh, steps did HaKadosh Baruch Hu perform for us? If he had taken us out of Mitzrayim, out of Egypt, but not done any of the shvatim, not done any of the, the tremendous makas, the tremendous miracles that he wrought, that would have been enough. And then we go through, if he would have destroyed their gods, but he wouldn't have killed their firstborn, if he would have given them, given us their money, um, but uh, he wouldn't have split the sea, it would have been enough. And all of these are very confusing types of ideas. Like, for example, uh, if he would have brought us to Harsinai, but he would not have given us the Torah, that would have been enough. Now, let's just focus on that just for a minute. How would that be enough? How would, in any way, shape, or form, would bring us to Harsinai and not giving us the Torah, why would that have been enough? That's not enough. It's like telling my kids, you know, I promised them I'm taking them on Cholomayed to a great adventure. And, uh, and we drive all the way out to a great adventure in New Jersey, and they're all excited, and we get to the front gate, and I say, okay, we're at great adventure. But we're not going in. I don't want to spend all, you know, a few hundred dollars on tickets to get in. This is enough. It's Dayenu. And they're going to say, Tati, it's not Dayenu. This is not what we came here for. We came here to actually get in to great adventure. So what in the world, Lahabdal is, is the Haggadah telling us that if he would have taken us to Harsinai, and we're there, we're standing, we're ready to get the Torah, but he decides at the last minute not to give us the Torah, it would have been enough. No, it would not have been enough. Absolutely not. I disagree. And so all the commentators jump on every one of these lines. They dissect it piece by piece, understandably so. I mean, the Haggadah is, as is known, the most widely written on Sefer, perhaps in the entire corpus of Jewish Svarim. There are no more published books on any other topic than the Haggadah. Every year you go to the Svarim store and you're going to find another 20, 30, 40 brand new Haggadahs that were not on the shelves last year. There are literally thousands, maybe tens of thousands of Agadas, and every commentator, every rabbi is trying to find some chidushim to say, and there is, Dayenu is very, very um, ripe for the picking in terms of finding chidushim. I'll give you just one idea that the great Rabbi Ruchem Levavitz, the Mashkiach of the Mir in Poland, he said on that Dayenu about Harakadosh Baruch Hu, brought us to the mountain Taira, but not given us the Taira, that would have been enough. If he would have brought us to Arsinai and not actually handed us the Taira, that would have been Dayenu. What does that mean? So he says that when he was alive, when Rucham was living, it was in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they had just invented something called a thermos. Now a thermos to us is probably not a big deal because, you know, it's been around forever. But when it was first invented, it was actually a very, very big deal. Because in the olden days, if you wanted a half cup of coffee, you had to be near uh, a fire, near an oven, near a stove, that you'd be able to heat it up and have it. And if you were not anywhere in the vicinity of a hot oven, of a hot stove, you would not be able to have a hot cup of coffee or a hot cup of tea. 
some brilliant guy came up with an idea that we take for granted today, but then it was a tremendous Kiddush, that you can make a thermos and it has a certain amount of insulation in it, plus mirrors inside of it, all the things that will optimize the conductivity of, of heat. And so you put coffee into this thermos and you seal up the lid and then you could go to work, you can go on a construction site and be, you know, 50 floors up with your hard hat sitting on, the, uh, sitting on that famous ledge, you know, that there are famous black and white pictures in Life magazine of different construction workers and they have their thermos and they're drinking hot coffee even though it was made for them by their wife early that morning, but it's still piping hot when you open it up. What Yerucham wanted to say was, that's what it means. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu had brought us to Har Sinai, but not given us the Torah, it would have been enough. Why? Because the very fact that we stood at Har Sinai with the fires coming down from heaven, with the kailas, with the brachim, with the sounds, and the sound and light shows that were taking place, it was like a thermos. It was like it packed in all of the heat of Yerushalayim, of fear in God, of the, of the aura, the ambiance in which Torah is supposed to be presented. And that itself is like to us, even today, an experience that we never, ever forgot. And every time you open up the thermos, it might be by the Pesach Seder, it might be right now, you could still feel the heat and the excitement and the enthusiasm that Matan Torah was. Means that it would have been enough just to take us to Har Sinai. The, the legacy of Sinai would have been with us today, piping hot, enthusiasm, vigor, excitement, Torah, Yerushalayim. Even if we had not technically received the Torah, that experience that we had at the foot of Har Sinai would last us till today. It would have been Dayenu. That's just one idea out of thousands of ideas to explain every single step of the way if he would have given us the Torah, not brought us into Eretz Yisrael, if he would have uh, brought us into Eretz Yisrael and not built the base on Mikdash for us. All of these things would require days and days and days of discussion every step of the way. But then I found one shot of the Malbim. The Malbim was one of the great Torah commentators, the Gadol Hadar. He breaks open the entire Dayenu in such a simple manner. And I think that once you hear this Malbim, you can't go back. All those Haggadah commentators that start ripping apart every line, you could sort of Ignore them almost, as it were, because his idea that he presents for us sort of overrides them, trumps them, makes them almost seem like not relevant anymore. What he says is as follows. Don't misunderstand this Dayenu and say, say that it means literally, if he would have taken us out of Mitzrayim but not done the Makkas, if he would have, uh, you know, given us, uh, split the sea, uh, but not taken us out onto dry land, all these things, no, that's not what the Haggadah is trying to tell us. Don't think for a second that if we would have been able to uh, be in the Midbar but not get the Mun, that would have been enough. If he would have given us the Mun and not given us Shabbos, that would have been enough. No, 
It absolutely would not. We needed Shabbos. We needed the Mun. We needed the Torah. What he says is such a fundamental idea, though, the Malbim. He says that when we thank somebody for doing something for us, and we use a generality, we say thank you, we think that thank you covers all the bases and we're putter. We are exempt. Once we say thank you, we're, we're good. But if you really stop and break it down in terms of everything that actually transpired for that person to do you that chesed, or to do you many chesedim, it's an entirely different way of looking at it. Instead of looking at it as one big chesed of HaKadosh Baruch Hu took us out of Egypt, the way to properly begin the journey of Hakar Satayev, of appreciation of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu has done, don't say simply, okay, thanks God, you took us out of Egypt. No, no, no. You have to break it down step by step. Every step is relevant. Every step has to be placed under a microscope, explored, spoken about, examined, praised, imagined. If it had not happened that way, that's the proper way, says the Malbim, to really express hakaras hataiv. A mere thank you is just a, it's, it's really like a band-aid for you feeling you know, that you, you need to say something to the person for the, what they did, so you say thank you, and now you're good. But a real thank you involves really dissecting what the person did. What did it involve for this chesed to have happened? And until we could do that, we have not really begun the process and the privilege of thanking Hashem. And so what Dayenu so brilliantly does is, it says, don't just thank me for Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, but understand all the steps that it took through Yitzhiya Mitzrayim and beyond until we got to this point that we're sitting around this base, I'll say there, with our families, religious, with our, all of the, the beautiful silver and the china and the crystal on our table. How did we get here? HaKadosh Baruch by himself, took us out, and he brought us through every single one of these extraordinary circumstances. Egypt, the Makis, the fact that he killed the firstborn, he gave us all of that money, he brought us out wealthy, he split the sea for us, and then he uh, provided for us in the desert, he fed us the money, gave us Shabbos, he brought us to Harsinai, and then he gave us the Torah, he gave us the Torah, and then he gave us Eretz Yisrael, and then he built us a base on Mikdash in Eretz Yisrael. Every single step of this process needs to be spoken about, because if you don't speak it out, then you're missing a fundamental principle of Akar Satayv, and that is that you have to really look under the hood to really appreciate what is going on. Don't just simply say, nice car. You have to discuss every part of the car, every cylinder, every button, and every seat, and every piece of uh, instrument, and every leather, and everything in the car. And if you're not doing that, then you're not understanding and appreciating what the car is. I was thinking of like just one example a lot of times we go to a restaurant. We go to a restaurant and we're served one course after another. 
And then we pay our bill, we tip the waiter, and we walk out. And we think that by paying our bill with a credit card and by tipping the waiter, we're putter. We, we basically have appreciated what they did. After all, we paid them. Isn't that what the whole thing... It's a business, so we paid them, and they're happy. But if you think about what it took, and I think we could appreciate it a thousand times more during this age of COVID, what it took to get that meal on that table for us. The person had to go to some restaurant school. I, have, I used to have a Talmud who opened up an establishment. I thought it was like an easy thing. You just rent a, uh, you know, a storefront and you open up a business. And presto, you're in, you're in the food business. He had to go to a certain school to get educated about how to serve food properly. And you can't touch the food and you can't re- reserve used food even if the person didn't touch it, and, and you have to train your employees exactly how to do it in order to get that sought-after uh, approval by the city. And then, you know, you hope that the city doesn't give you anything less than an A, because if you do, then you're in big trouble, and then you got to, you know, find the right person to get it back to an A. He has to get a health license. He has to get a liquor license. He has to find space. He has to renovate that space. He has to buy the kitchen equipment. He has to hire the staff, which includes chefs and waiters and busboys and dishwashers. He has to order all the food and make sure the food is fresh. He has to set the table with plates, with cutlery, with tablecloths, with salt and pepper shakers and make sure those salt and pepper shakers are always full. He has to refill the water constantly on the table. And he has to then bring the food and dessert to the table and clear the table in the right way and make sure that everything is just so that the, the floors are swept and that it's a pleasant ambiance. The music is just right. The lighting is right. A thousand and one things go into making a restaurant so that you can enter it and enjoy the meal that you just had. Now, unless you would think about it in the way that I just presented it, you would go through your whole life and not fully understand what it means to go to a restaurant. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, the great founder of the Musser movement, he once was eating, not eating, he just, he needed a, a drink of water, and he went, he was in Paris, he used to travel a lot, he went to the spitziest, fanciest restaurant in the heart of Paris, and he sat there and he, in a, by a beautiful table, the white tablecloth, and it was overlooking these perfectly manicured gardens out in the back of the hotel, and there was white glove service. The waiters were all wearing their tuxedos and the, car- the Persian carpets on the rug and the grand chandeliers overhead. And there was a, a band playing. And we saw Salanter was sitting at this beautiful hotel lobby and he orders a cup of water. And he drinks the water. He's enjoying it. And then he says to the waiter, okay, I'm finished. Can I have my bill? So the waiter brings out a bill for a whopping $30, whatever that is in francs at that time. But like, imagine getting a cup of water and they charge you $30. And Ibisal Salanter was quite aghast. He could not understand why in the world he should be paying $30 for a simple cup of water. Even if it's spring water, even if it's, um, you know, the fanciest of, uh, of spring. Who, why am I paying $30? 
And he asks the waiter, he says, waiter, there must be some mistake. Maybe you confused my bill with somebody else, but I only ordered a glass of water. Why am I paying $30 for this? And the waiter said to him, sir, you're not paying for the glass of water, $30. You're paying to be able to have the privilege of sitting in this beautiful restaurant, in this beautiful, magnificent hotel. Your eyes are gazing out at the beautiful lawns and the, and the gardens and the flowers and the trees that are gracing our property. You're listening to the most exquisite music played by a celloist and by a pianist and by, and, and by a pianist. Perfect. And you're paying for the crystal and you're paying for the tablecloth. You're paying for the Persian rug and all of the staff. All of that goes into that $30 bill. And Rabbi Yisrael Salanter looks at the waiter and says, thank you, you taught me a lesson for life. And the waiter didn't understand it. He got paid, he walked away. And Rabbi Yisrael Salanter spent the rest of his life telling over the story. And he said that I never understood why when I have a glass of water, I make a bracha, shahakal niyabidvaru, that everything happens by your word. What does that have to do with me drinking a glass of water? But now I understand, you're not paying for the glass of water. You're paying for the ability that you have to drink the glass of water, that you have hands that are able to pick up the glass, hold it steady enough, and then pour it into your mouth. You're not in a respirator. You're not in a hospital. You're able to enjoy the water. You're able to look with your eyes and see beautiful things, hopefully, while you're drinking that glass of water. You're able to have a warm home in which to drink the glass of water. You're not just drinking the glass of water. You're drinking the glass of water with everything that comes with that glass of water. And the more that the human mind can comprehend what everything in life is by breaking it up, like the Malbim tells us, piece by piece, molecule by molecule, step by step, the more a person can begin the journey of appreciation of appreciating everything that Hashem gives us and appreciating everything that the people in our lives give us. Rav Hutner was the Rosh Hashiba of Chaim Berlin and he made a Pesach Seder one year and he had his favorite Talmidim at the table, his closest Talmidim, including Rav Shlema Freifeld, who went on to be a pioneer of the Kirov movement. He's the Rosh, he was the Rosh Shiva of Shor Yashiv in Farakaway. And at this Pesach Seder, one of the people there was a grandson of the Altar of Slabotka. The Altar of Slabotka was arguably the greatest teacher in the last hundred years, and you could see that by the Talmidim that he produced. He produced all the Gedalim of Ashkenaz, basically. And you can count them on multiple hands. Rav Shach, Rav Aaron Kotler, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, Rav Bitzlok Ruderman, Rav David Leibowitz, Rav Hutner, Rav Chatzkos, the Rashivas of the Mir. All these Rashivas came from one man, the Altaf and Slabotka, and they all gave their lives for him. They, they understood that he was the person that molded them and shaped them into the G'dayim that they were. Rav Hutner, like I said, was one of the closest Talmidim of the Altaf Slabotka, and at his Seder, he had a grandson of the Altar, 
Now, this grandson was not necessarily at that point in his life following in his great illustrious uh, ancestor's footsteps. He was a little bit of a prankster. And the whole Seder, he was basically whispering to people and breaking up the whole decorum of the Seder, making jokes and, and doing shtick by the Seder. And it was a little disruptive or a lot disruptive for, for a lot of the boys at the Seder table. They, they came to hear and to bask in the glow of Ravutner. And instead of being able to do that, they had to keep on tolerating this boy's chutzpah, and this boy's... So Rav Shlomo Freifeld goes over to the Rosh Hashiva, to Rav Hutner, and he whispers in his ear, this guy at the Seder table, I don't know exactly who he is, but he's very disruptive, and if the Rosh Hashiva wants you, just give me the word, and I'll take him by his coat jacket, by his lapels, and I'll chuck him out of the house, because the Rosh Hashiva doesn't need this. It's not it's not it's not in accordance with your great honor to have this person completely overturn the, 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 the pristine atmosphere that the Seder deserves. Rav Hutner looked at Rav Shlema Freifeld and said, you don't know who that boy is. That boy is a grandson of my Rebbe, the altar of Slabotka. I am so appreciative of the altar of Slabotka, I I would do anything for him. If his grandson wants to step on my Pesach Seder right now on the table and start doing a dance on it, I would say not a word. Because I have such hakaras hataiv for my Rebbe, for the altar. Hakaras hataiv means that you have to really understand the extent of a person's hatava. How much good has the person done? And very often we gloss over it, maybe because we're uncomfortable being indebted to people. But Seder night is a time that we sort of take a step back and think about all that Hashem has done for us. From Mitzrayim v'adheina, from Mitzrayim until today, every step of the way, every miracle that HaKadosh Baruch has ever done since, since Egypt, and the personal miracles that we experience every single day, Every single day, HaKadosh Baruch Hu continues doing miracles. But if we just look at the big miracles and forget the small miracles, or if we miss a lot of the big miracles, then we're lacking in the sense of what we owe Hashem. Sometimes, especially with our parents, it's very hard to understand the extent of how much our parents have done for us. And sometimes we have the chutzpah, those of us that still are, have this chutzpah of having parents that are alive, to take them for granted. And sometimes much worse, we get into arguments with our parents. Sometimes we have disagreements with them. If we would understand, if we would begin to understand how much our parents have done for us, from the moment that we were born, and even before we were born, how careful our mother was staying away from maybe people that were smoking or people that were drinking or people that were, and being in the right climate and maybe listening to music so that we'd become in the womb. And then we were born and then preparing the crib and the, and the high chair and the stroller for us and all the diapers and all the wipes and all of the, the Similac and all the, the, the foods, the baby foods and the milk and everything that had to be put into us as children and the clothing 
and then the educational tuition bills, which are astronomical, as we all know. But they never complained, and they never expected anything in return. And then we get older, and we get older, and then at one point we begin to think that we, we're, we created ourselves, and that we're self-made people, and that we don't owe anything really to our parents because, you know, we were always perfect. And then if our parents, like, don't let us stay, you know, for a third year in Israel, we get crazy at them because that's what we have to do and that's what everybody else is doing. How, dare, how can you bring me home? And we, we, throw, do under, we don't understand. We don't begin to understand an itemized list of everything that our parents have done for us. And if you would begin to start writing that list, we would never, ever have tainus on our parents. We would never have complaints against them. We would just completely be so indebted to them and grateful to them and respectful to them. The Chinuch writes this. The famous Sefer HaChinuch writes that the reason for the mitzvah of Kibra Ve'im, why is there this mitzvah? Because it's a mitzvah of gratitude. You have to understand everything that your parents have done for you and when you stop to think about that and make a list of all the things that they have done for you, as much as you can put down on a piece of paper, and there aren't enough pieces of paper in the world to really complete that list, but if you'd be able to, then you would automatically respect your parents. And then he says, and if you respect your parents, then by extension you're going to be respecting Hashem, who gave your parents everything. And then you'll really have your mind blown by how much appreciation you need to have for your parents, for Hashem, for everybody. Because everybody has contributed in one way or another to who we are. This is the fundamental lesson, I think, of the Seder of Dayenu. It's something that we have to think about before Pesach, because Pesach is, the, is a yantav of Hakar Satayev, of thanking Hashem, but really thanking everybody. As you're sitting around the Pesach Seder, thank whoever cooked the meal, whoever went shopping for the meal, whoever set the table, whoever, whoever was involved in any which way. You always have to spend so much time thanking Hashem. One of the Talmidim of the altar, I just remembered, was Rabbi Avram Grudzensky, who was, died al Kiddush Hashem in the Holocaust. And he used to say that Chazal tell us on the last Pasuk in Sefer Telem, the last Pasuk says, Kal Hanishama Tahaloka. The entire soul has to give praise to you, has to sing Hal to you. And Chazal say, I'll call Nishima Unishima. On every breath that we take, you have to praise Hashem. So Rabbi Ram Grudzensky used to say, you know what that means? Every breath that you take, you owe Hashem Hallel. You have to say, and he says, not a chatzi halal, not half a halal, but a whole halal. We owe Hashem every breath we take. Now, obviously, you can't say a whole halal every breath you take, but you're indebted to Hashem as if you, because you owe that to Hashem. Imagine every breath owing Hashem another halal. You know how many breaths we take every single day? In other words, we will never be able to re- begin to repay Hashem but at least the recognition that we owe Hashem is itself something that will serve us and will stand us in good stead before Him. 
I'd like to conclude by just reading the email that this young woman, a young married woman, as I started with, she sent me this very morning, and I asked her permission if I might share this tonight, and she said it would be her pleasure. This is what she wrote, an email that she sent to her parents after listening to the ideas that we had just shared tonight. If you had only brought me into this world, Dayenu. If you had only given me a house to live in, Dayenu. If you had only given me siblings to grow up with, Dayenu. If you had only stayed up late at night to feed me and comfort me, Dayenu. If you had only cleaned up after messes that I made, Dayenu. If you had only bought me clothing, Dayenu. If you had only made my lunches and suppers, Dayenu. If you had only paid my yeshiva tuition, Dayenu. If you had only been patient with my childhood antics, Dayenu. If you had only bought my school supplies and helped me with my schoolwork, Dayenu. If you had only encouraged me through good times and bad, Dayenu. If you had only sent me to seminary, Dayenu. If you had only accompanied, encouraged, and cried with me during the Shidduchim era, Dayenu. If you had only been there to make my wedding with all its myriad details and celebrate together with me, Dayenu. If you had only given me the joy of sharing your pride in my children, Dayenu. If you had only provided me with role models in marriage and parenting, Dayenu. If you had only davened for me, and now my children, Dayenu. But you've done all this, and so much more that I'll never know about. So the least I can say is, thank you. Uh, 